0: Thanks, Marcy. She touched on a few of the topics we're going to talk about today. An Instagram influencer. I think I'm going to carry around a card, and I'm going to be a scripture influencer. It's going to be my title. Um, I just wanted to thank you. We can't thank enough the music and everyone behind the scenes that makes this happen. Really, the speakers are probably 20% of the the entire program. and, I, and Amy Johnson, who puts it up on the website, I've never met her, never seen her. I get emails every week that I teach asking for my information if I want to post anything. But um, I know she works out of the home, and I know that I think she received an, a big calling. And so um, I've never seen her, but thank you, Amy, for all that you do for us and, and everyone else. Corinne setting the projector up and everyone else behind the scenes. Really, we, It's a big job. So last week, Rebecca gave an amazing lesson on sin versus weakness. I've kind of actually thought through that all week, and um, she's an amazing teacher. I want to be her when I grow up someday. And um, and I thought too that if I didn't know if it was sin or weakness, I always defaulted on the weakness side because then you don't have to repent as much. So I thought that was that was kind of my default. But I'm sure Rebecca is saying you've missed the entire message of my whole lesson last week in that statement. But today, we're going to, this is our third to last lesson, so we are going to talk about Moroni 1 through 6 today, and we could probably take um, this time to read it, and it would take about 2 minutes and 45 seconds to read the scriptures today, as you know, and you probably were able to finally read one this morning at the last minute. But according to um, Brother Beardall, there's a a few guys that I follow that teach um, Book of Mormon lessons. Um, He gave some facts. The final Book of Mormon, sorry, the final Book of the Book of Mormon was written after Moroni's father's death. So Moroni was just finished abridging ether in the history of the Jaredites. And so Moroni writes this final book, makes you wonder what tools he needed to use and carry with him everywhere as he's trying to hide from the lamanites and hide from being terminated um, it was probably written 15 to 35 years after the battle of camora and once again moroni finds finds himself alive he said goodbye two other times if you recall in R- mormon 937 and in ether 1534 so he's still living it makes uh, makes it clear that if he is caught by the lamanites he will be killed because he will not deny Christ and that's who they're looking after to to kill. And perhaps that's how he was killed, at least one account suggests that Joseph Smith was shown the fate of Moroni who died at the hands of the Lamanites. Verse 4 Wherefore I write a few more things contrary to that which I had supposed, for I had supposed not to have written any more, but I write a few more things that perhaps they may be of worth unto my brethren the Lamanites, in some future day, according to the will of the Lord. So we are to assume that he has been able to see our day, and therefore has observed that we need to be reminded of or taught additional information. So he teaches us gospel ordinances and the need for fellowshipping. And interestingly, that in the first six chapters, if that was all you tore out of the Book of Mormon, that you would have a pretty good overview of what needs to take place within the The Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. It's really a blueprint of what is needed to establish the church. So those first six verses were really amazing, amazing doctrine that he wrote. Um, In verse 2 through 6, see we're already on to 2 already. He covers um, ordinances and the structure of the church. So I just put on this slide the topics that that we'll hit today and, and what he talks about at how to give the gift of the Holy Ghost, how to ordain elders, priests, and teachers. The sacrament prayers are verse four and five of as you know, that there's no iniquity in the church and how to conduct church meetings. So let's not forget the Moroni was instrumental in helping restore the Book of Mormon to Joseph Smith. He appeared to Joseph Smith in 1823 and then yearly to 1827 when he received custody of the plates, he and his father's efforts were translated then bound in March of 1830 and one week after the church was organized. He was a major figure, according to Ted Gibbons, in the restoration of this church. We have records of 22 different appearances of Moroni to Joseph Smith. There is likewise an account of his appearance to Heber C. Kimball two weeks before President Kimball's death, and there are indications that he dedicated the sites of at least four temples. But in addition to that, he was a great example of selflessness and obedience, Nephi began the record by saying, I will go and do. And Moroni ended it by going and doing what he had been commanded to do. Between 385 and 421 AD, Moroni had one purpose in life, to discharge his duty to the Lord and to us by caring for the plates and adding such material as he knew we might one day need. So the that amounts to somewhere around 37 years. So Moroni was a finisher. Elder Monson, sorry, President Monson talks about finishers. He gives an example. He said, one Wednesday I paused before the elegant show window of a prestigious furniture store that which caught that and held my attention was not the beautiful designed sofa nor the comfortable appearing chair that stood at its side, neither was it the beautiful chandelier positioned overhead. Rather, my eyes rested on a small sign that had been placed in the bottom right-hand corner of the window. Its message was brief, finishers wanted. The store had need of those persons who possessed the talent and the skill to make ready for final sale the expensive furniture the firm manufactured and sold. Finishers wanted. The words remained with me as I returned to the pressing activities of the day. In life, as in business, there has always been a need for those persons who could be called finishers. Their ranks are few, their opportunities are many, and their contributions are great. That was in the Ensign in 1989. Moroni thought his work with the place was finished when he engraved the final character of the Book of Ether, but finding himself yet alive, and with some time and room, he made a decision to write more. Are you a finisher? Are the goals you have set for now have anything to do with the goals you wish to accomplish at the end of your mortal life? For people, men and women in careers, we spend lots of time setting career goals. We may set financial or material goals based on certain age or a stage in our life, but what goals have you set for your spiritual life and your eternity? As with each stage of life, we might set new goals, but what is your end goal, like Moroni, and what are you doing today to accomplish it? Our goals need to be well rounded. One may goal to read the Book of Mormon a hundred times before the end of their life. But if we but if you were a mean person or lazy, the goal might not be enough. Heavenly Father gives us many things to work on, but one goal to reach, and that is to return to live with him again someday. Moroni, too, we see that Moroni felt it imperative we understand that the that Christ's apostles among the Nephites were bestowed by Christ the the gift of the Holy Ghost. So what do we learn in 2 verses 2 and 3? Just these two verses, I came up with things that we can pull from that that we would know about. In verse 2, and he called them by name, saying, You shall call on the Father in my name in mighty prayer, And after ye have done this, ye shall have power that to him upon whom ye shall lay your hands, ye shall give the Holy Ghost, and in my name ye shall ye give it, for thus do mine apostles. Now Christ spake in three these words unto him at the time of the first appearing, and the multitude heard it not, but the disciples heard it, and on as many as they laid their hands fell the Holy Ghost. So here are some things that I learned from just verses two and three that Jesus lives that he appeared to the disciples, that Christ has a father, The the way to communicate to him is through prayer, that Jesus loved us so much that he gave power, and that power is the Holy Ghost, and as Christ did, so shall his disciples have power to lay their hands on others to give them the Holy Ghost. The righteous are rewarded, and not everyone will hear should they not have the desire to accept the word of Christ. In Moroni 3, how do we ordain priests and teachers? By the laying on of hands. An example of an ordinance done this way in all of these years since Christ's time. In verse two, after they had prayed unto the Father in the name of Christ, they laid their hands upon them and said, "In three, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ordain you to be a priest, or if you be a teacher, I ordain you to be a teacher, to preach repentance and remission of sins through Jesus Christ by the endurance of faith on his name to the end. And four, and after this manner did they ordain priests and teachers according to the gifts and callings of God unto men, and they ordained them by the power of the Holy Ghost, which was in them. So it brings us to the sacrament prayers. So interestingly, that something that we use every week, that he didn't think to let us know about the first two times that he thought he would die, and that he's, he's now giving this, the sacrament prayers now, no, really, no one really knows why, but it's interesting at this time, isn't it? I mean, really, it's such an important thing. Brother Beardar says, he gave his testimony regor- regarding these sacramental prayers, wherefore we know the manner to be true, Moroni 4, one. So he's testifying that it's true. Elder John H. Groberg, wrote a talk called The Beauty and Importance of the Sacrament in April of 1989 and he said, One of the most important invitations ever issued to us and to all mankind is to come into Christ and to be perfected in Him. How do we do that? One of the most beautiful and important ways is through the ordinance of the sacrament. The Lord instituted the sacrament as we know it today during that what we commonly call the Last Supper. In one sense it was the Last Supper, but in another it was the First Supper, the beginning of many spiritual feasts. The resurrected Lord instructed the Book of Mormon people, You shall break bread and bless it, and give it unto the people of my church, unto all those who shall believe and be baptized in my name. And this shall you always observe to do, even as I have done. And this shall you do in remembrance of my body which I have shown unto you. And it shall be a testimony unto the Father that ye do always remember me. And if you do always remember me, you shall have my spirit to be with you. And 3 Nephi 18, 5-7. But the Lord who knows the terrible consequences of hypocrisy also warned, You shall not suffer anyone knowing to partake of my flesh, the blood unworthily. For whoso eateth and drinketh my flesh and blood unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to the soul. So what does it mean to partake of the sacrament worthily? Or how do we know if we are unworthily? Unworthy. If we desire to improve, which is to repent, and are not under priesthood restriction, then in my opinion, this is Brother Groberg talking, have no intention of following the guidance of the Spirit. We must ask, are the worthy are we worthy to partake? or are we making a mockery of the very purpose of the sacrament, which is to act as a catalyst for personal repentance and improvement? If we remember the Savior and all he has done and will do for us, we will improve our actions and thus come closer to him, which keeps us on the road to eternal life. If, however, we refuse to repent and improve, if we do not remember him and keep his commandments, then we have stopped our growth, and that is damnation to our souls. So the sacrament prayer allows us time to reflect, one of the few chances in our entire time at church, if you think about it. Where is... What is there in these prayers that explains why we call participation in this ordinance a covenant? What do we covenant to do when we drink the cup and eat the bread? Why are we commanded to ask the Father to sanctify this bread to the souls of all those who partake of it? When eating the bread, we are told there are two things we should remember, we should do, sorry, remembering and witnessing. Elder Hunter in April, 1977 thoughts on the sacrament. I thought of the events that that took place on the evening nearly 2,000 years ago when Jesus was betrayed. He had sent Peter and John into Jerusalem to make ready the Passover. This included, as was the custom, the sacrifice of a lamb. The laws of sacrifice have been followed down through the centuries since commenced by Father Adam, looking toward time when the Savior would make the great sacrifice for mankind by the shedding of his blood and death on the cross. So, what do we promise? As we eat the bread, we take his name, we keep the, his commandments, and we always remember him. This language invites introspection. Paul tells us to examine ourselves before we partake. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. 28, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. How much are we contemplating during sacrament. We can ask at least these questions as we do conduct this examination during quiet moments of reflection before partaking. Number one, have I taken his name? Have I been a Christian in my conduct this week? Have I behaved as a member of his family? Would have been in reference would be Messiah 5.7. And now because of the covenant which ye have made. Ye shall be called the children of Christ, his sons and his daughters. For behold, this day he hath spiritually begotten you. For ye say that your hearts are changed through faith in his name. Therefore ye are born of him and have become his sons and his daughters. So certainly a different perspective. If you're a member of his family, are you keeping his covenants? Two, have I kept his commandments? If not, have I repented for any mistakes I've made since the last time I partook? And number three, have I remembered him, his life, his mercy, his atonement, his teachings, his expectations, and all of my activities in the past week. Uh, Brother Haight, in remembering the Savior's atonement, the Lord revealed to Joseph Smith that it mattereth not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink when ye partake of the sacrament, If it so be that ye do it with an eye single to my glory, remembering unto the Father my body which was laid down for you, and my blood which was shed for the remission of your sins. It took a number of years before the congregations of the saints totally abolished the use of wine in the sacrament, but by the end of President Brigham Young's administration, the use of water for the sacrament was generally the practice. I have a Catholic sister-in-law, and they... She goes faithfully every week, so we've been to some of their christenings and baptisms. and It was really funny to see my kids' face when they did the sacrament, because obviously they line up and they take a drink um, of wine out of the cup, and we didn't participate in that, but it was kind of cute. I hadn't prepped them for that yet, so their eyes were really big, thinking they were going to go get to drink wine. So, um, <clears throat> both prayers contain the phrase, always remember him. How much of a challenge is it to always remember the Lord? Recall in 3 Nephi 1, prior to the birth of the Savior, a plan had been made to slay the righteous. But Nephi prayed and was told that the sign regarding the Lord's birth would be given. The signs given to the people were so tremendous that the more part of the people did believe and were converted to the Lord, if you remember. This is 3 Nephi 1, 22. But the story continues, and it came to pass, that thus passed away the 95th year also, I believe it was a couple years, and the people began to forget those signs and wonders which they had heard and began to be less and less astonished at a sign or a wonder from heaven, insomuch that they began to be hard in their hearts and blind in their minds and began to disbelieve all which they had heard and seen. So it didn't take very long, did it? So how how do people begin to forget? Did these ancient Nephites actually forget they had seen a day, a night, and a day as one day? Did they forget the significance of the great signs they had been given? I don't think that the Nephites forgot the signs, just like when a missionary comes home and they they choose not to be active in the church, I don't believe that they forgot the experiences they had on their mission. But. Um, Many of them did forget the spiritual significance of that experience. This occurs because one neglects the admonition issued weekly in the sacramental prayers to always remember him. So when people stop going to church, they stop taking the sacrament, therefore making it less important and less impressionable. It really is important to attend church every week. The final and the most important test of our sacrament experience is found in the promise at the end of both prayers. If we partake worthily, we will have the spirit to be with us. Um, Elder James J. Hamula talks about in the sacrament and the atonement at General Conference in 2014, brothers and sisters, the most important event in time and eternity is the atonement of Jesus Christ. He who accomplished the atonement has given us the ordinance of the sacrament, to help us not only remember but also claim the blessings of this supreme act of grace. Regular and earnest participation in the sacrament ordinance helps us continue to embrace and live the doctrine of Christ after baptism and thereby pursue and complete the process of sanctification. Indeed, the ordinance of the sacrament helps us faithfully endure to the end and receive the fullness of the Father in the same way that Jesus did, grace by grace. I have to remind myself my son leaves and he doesn't really look exactly how i would like him to look to go and pass the sacrament in fact i said to one of the leaders can you please encourage the boys to roll their sleeves down because my son always rolls his sleeves up right here and i just feel like that that's that shouldn't happen and so um but aren't we grateful that they just go So in six, we're already to six. Moroni explains the requirements for church members and the need for keeping records and fellowshipping. Moroni gives an excellent explanation of the necessary preparation for baptism. in Moroni one, sorry six one through three. And I wanted to read Doctrine and Covenants twenty thirty seven, which actually gives similar qualifications. It says, and again, by the way of commandment to the church concerning the manner of baptism, all those who humble themselves before God and desire to be baptized and come forth with broken hearts and contrite spirits and witness before the church that they have truly repented of all their sins and are willing to take upon them the name of Jesus Christ, having determination to serve him to the end and truly manifest by their works, that they have received the spirit of Christ unto the remission of their sins shall be received by baptism into his church. So if you then read Moroni 6, 2 through 3, because that was Doctrine and Covenants 20:37, neither did they receive any unto baptism save they came forth with a broken heart and contrite spirit, and witnessed unto the church that they truly repented of all their sins. And none were received unto baptism save they took upon them the name of Christ, having a determination to serve him to the end. So requirements for baptism So I put the list together in a slide. Those baptized had to bring forth fruit to demonstrate that they were worthy. Two, that they baptized, those baptized needed to have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Three, that they needed to witness the church that they had indeed repented of all their sins. Pardon me, four, that they were expected to take upon them the name of Christ. And five, they should have a determination to serve him to the end. In six, chapter six, verse four, we talk about nourishing new members. So again, we're talking on lots of subjects, but this really is the organization of the church. And after they had been received unto baptism, they were wrought upon and cleansed by the power of the Holy Ghost, and they were numbered among the people of the church of Christ. And their names were taken that they might be remembered and nourished by the good word of God to keep them in the right way, to keep them continually watchful under prayer, relying alone on the merits of Christ, Who was the author and the finisher of their faith? So, what does it mean to nourish the new members of the church of Jesus Christ for Latter day Saints? The words nourish and new all seem like they go together. A new baby requires care and nourishment for it to survive, just like a small little plant does. We need to nourish it so it won't wither. A new employee needs attention and constant instruction in order to master their new job. President Gordon B. Hinckley said with the ever increasing number of converts we must make an increasingly substantial effort to assist them as they find their way. Every one of them needs three things, a friend, a responsibility, and nurturing with the good word of God. So think about those of you that have been born and raised in the church and how have you been fellowshiped? It doesn't really sound like you need to be, but I think that we do. Did you need it and why? And are you doing these things in your ward to other people that may have been raised in the church but also need nourishing and fellowship i think the church was has changed its focus a little bit from nourishing its church with the new program um, come follow me and where we're, we're encouraged to nourish at home are we not president Hinckley says the greatest tragedy in the church is the loss of those who join the church and then fall away With very few exceptions, it need not happen. I'm convinced that almost virtually, or sorry, universally, those who are baptized by the missionaries have been taught sufficiently to have received knowledge and testimony sufficiently to warrant their baptism. But it is not an easy thing to make the transition incident to join this church it means cutting old ties it means leaving friends it may mean setting aside cherished beliefs and may require a change of habits and a suppression of appetites in so many cases it means loneliness and even fear of the unknown there must be nurturing and strengthening during this difficult season of a convert's life a tremendous price has been paid for this presence his presence in the church the long efforts of the missionaries and the cost of their service, the separation from old relationships and the trauma associated with this makes it imperative that these precious souls be welcomed, reassured, helped in their times of weakness, praised for what they do, given responsibility under which they may grow strong, and encouraged and thanked for all they do. So President Klee is pretty passionate about that. I had a discussion with my husband the other night, and he actually gave me a pretty good example of an experience on his mission about fellowshipping. Certainly as missionaries were encouraged to baptize and that's kind of, those are the numbers that we are having to turn in each week to our district leaders and our zone leaders. But um, Cynthia will like the story because it's from Ireland. But my husband served in north and south of Ireland and he, he was transferred from the south to the north to a town called um, Portadown. And he had a green and there were two other missionaries that came up into this area. And they had a massive chapel like this one. And at one time there were three or four hundred members in this chapel and they had twenty five. And so for three months, my husband said they tracked it and they knocked on doors. And there were about three major cities within the area. And if you know Ireland, you know, there's lots of uh, rural landscape so they proceeded and they hadn't they had literally no success they could not even get in the door to teach people and so um they and the other two elders decided they were going to reactivate that they were going to go out and find these people and when he left that they increased the membership to 90 members and it's hard too as a missionary if you're bringing someone to a ward when there's not very many people there and certainly the infrastructure's not there to help them Um, embrace the new members when the newer members that are in the the uh, church um, don't have a strong testimony so clearly fellowship being so important I think that the LDS church does an amazing job of setting up an organization sometimes depending on your stage of life sometimes not to get people involved think of the hundreds of thousands of churches that have been attempted to be organized some will lure you in to create large shows and productions. I saw a lot of that in the South when I lived in Oklahoma. I mean, they were amazing, Um, hundreds of thousands of people in these giant auditoriums. But others are small congregations that were converted on certain principles, but how can they last? Many go financially broke. Others have no youth programs or any way of sustaining their membership. But I absolutely love when I go to the temple, I love seeing all those cute senior missionaries some young they do such a wonderful job of making things run smoothly and I know people that work in the temple say you have no idea behind the scenes what goes on but we don't see that. Um, If you ask any volunteer in any organization it's a logistic nightmare literally to organize volunteers um, with their schedules different needs and personalities and they do it. Also well but the infrastructure of the church is second to none when it comes to helping people participate in the Lord's plan and feeling needed in addition to that helping people realize talents they never had or sharing those with people who need it or otherwise would never have known is Betsy Nagel here I asked oh come on up Betsy I asked Betsy I remember um Betsy will tell you how long she's had her calling but I remember um, several months ago her letting me know Betsy's in my ward here in the first ward and she told me about her new calling and um, I thought wow that's overwhelming but I thought it was an excellent example of how um, we as volunteers are kind of thrown into things and, and we do it and we do it well and um, and the experiences we have with other volunteers is obviously
1: something that we'll never forget so Betsy if you want to come talk about your new calling I think I'm one of those old people she likes to see at the temple. Um, Kelly asked me to talk about my responsibilities as a shift coordinator at the temple. It's one of those invisible assignments that if you do it well, nobody notices. Things just go smoothly. But if you don't do it well, everyone notices because things kind of fall apart. Um, I am one of 15. Uh, female shift coordinators Uh, and I manage the Thursday afternoon and evening shifts at the temple. Uh, My responsibilities are to schedule my five assistants and 70 ordinance worker women uh, during that shift. Typically it's a two to three year assignment. Mine won't be that long because of the closing of the temple uh, at the end of this year. I admit that I was not thrilled when I was asked to do this. I have worked at the temple long enough to know that it was a big job. I didn't know how big it was. Um, My predecessor told me that it would take about 20 hours a week at home to do the scheduling, and then I'm at the temple on Thursdays between 8 to 10 hours, depending on the day. Um, She assured me that I would love doing it, and that I would feel great blessings. Well, it took me a little while to get convinced. Each week I schedule these 70 women, and I see three of the women on my shift that are here today, and I know many of you others are also temple workers. Um, We change positions every 30 minutes during the six-hour shift, so I'm juggling all of those things. Not everyone can do every assignment. Um, not There are physical reasons, some are not trained to do everything and believe it or not there are some personality issues. Some people don't like to work with some other people and so you have to take that into consideration as well. Um, every week a few sisters are gone and so I schedule uh, substitutes. There's a significant amount of turnover, especially with our younger sisters who come and work for a while and then they may get married or they have a different school schedule or whatever. And so uh, we're constantly training uh, uh, people. It takes several weeks, months, depending on the person, to become fully trained. And we are in our shift right now, we have 17 uh, women at various stages of the training. So they can't be assigned to everything. You have to be careful with that. Um, each post is different. Uh, just for an example, someone comes in for sealing and you, we just think, well, they're just going to be sealed. In the past few weeks, we've had a family with seven children being sealed to live parents. We had a 79-year-old child being sealed to his deceased parents. We had a 39-year-old child being sealed to her live mother and deceased father. We had an 84-year-old woman who was not yet endowed, that needed to be endowed before she could be sealed to her deceased husband and her living children. We have live marriages, a uh, 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 licensed marriage and sealing or there is a ceiling after uh, a civil marriage. Each of those circumstances requires a different protocol, a different pattern, and different, uh, different kind of scheduling. So I have to know exactly what the circumstance is and know where to put people and those kinds of things. Um, I have learned a lot about the organization of the temple. Is it a lot of work? Yes. I handle between 60 and 80 texts and emails every week that need to be attended to. Many of those regard uh, people that are being trained or people that are absent or substitutes or uh, information from the temple regarding what ordinances are gonna be performed so that I know where to put people. Um, I attend extra training meetings uh, every couple of months at 7 a.m. on Sunday morning in the temple. Next week I have a meeting at 1 o'clock on a different day than my day for a training meeting, so there's all that stuff. And then the day of my service, uh, I usually get to the temple about 1 o'clock and I'm the last man out at uh, 9.30, 10, 10.30, depending on uh, how quickly people get out. Um, Friday, my feet still hurt, my legs still hurt. Um, Do I like it? Yes. Do I feel blessed? Yes. I love the women on my shift. I love the women who, those that are here and those that aren't here, who very quickly uh, adjust when we have an emergency or someone doesn't show up and we need to change their schedule a little bit, um, people are so good. I love the, the woman who drives in from Tooele every week, who has a debilitating degenerative disease. I know that she hurts the entire time that she is serving there. I love the 88-year-old widow who, after the death of her husband, still wanted to be of use and so she comes and serves in the temple every week. I love the young, recently returned missionaries that come because they want to still be able to feel the spirit, and they are so quick to learn the ordinances and, um, and the procedures that we have. Um, I feel love of the patrons who come, many of whom come routinely, come every week. We see, we see a lot of the same people. Um, I have been prompted at times to put a certain a woman in a certain place at a certain time, not knowing why, and then finding out later that she was the only one that could have done what needed to be done at that place and at that time. So it has been, uh, it has been a great blessing for me to be able to serve in this way. So next time you come to the temple and you see someone at the front saying, this way, sister, please take Locker G21. Um, would you move over five seats, please? Um, don't think that it's just someone that's looking for a day job. It's uh, These are wonderful, dedicated women who move from position to position, For a long time in the afternoon so that when you come it will feel quiet and organized and settled and so that you can feel the Spirit of the Lord there and be able to receive the comfort or answers or the blessings that you are seeking at the temple. I am reminded every week that I covenanted to give my time and my talents where I was needed. And I have come to feel very strongly that if this is where the Lord needs me at this time, I am very blessed to be able to do this uh, assignment. I am grateful for the temple and for the blessings that we we receive there and for the covenants that we make. And I know that as we keep those covenants, we are blessed and we can live happy, productive lives no matter what the challenges are that we face each day. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thanks Betsy. Are you glad
0: you have your calling now? And I know Betsy that calling's for you so that you will not be inactive. <laughs> You're being fellowshiped. Thank you. It's an excellent example of what I was talking about. Um, Moroni offers a wonderful explanation for the purpose of church meetings in Moroni 6-5 and the church did meet together off to fast and to pray and to speak one with another concerning the welfare of their souls and how important it is we've talked about being consistent and um, also within our church meetings how important it is to fellowship people that come and I had an experience where um, like many of you, when we travel, we may attend a church service where we're traveling out of your city where you live. And I have never experienced anything like this, and uh, and nor have I since. But um, when I went to a visit Hawaii, and we dragged our kids um, on a Sunday, and they thought it was awful that we were going to church. Um, and we went up kind of a little bit out of the way into a town, and uh, it's on the Big Island, and it's called, uh, it's spelled H-A-W-I, but it's pronounced Havi. And we attended their award, and at the end of each sacrament service, they have all the visitors that were there, which there were probably only uh, six or seven of us, come up and stand up here um, at the podium, and then they sing this song in Hawaiian to us. And I was such a ball baby. I could not pull it together. But one of the amazing things it was is that the men take a, these one of these crocheted homemade lays and kiss you on each, each cheek and give you a lay. And then there was a woman that kisses all the men and does the same thing to each of the visitor, visitors. And I have kept these. I, am, I got so emotional about it. These are the cutest things they're all different sizes, and can you imagine these cute Hawaiian women? I don't know if they do it on a monthly basis or a yearly basis, crocheting and making these lays and welcoming, welcoming visitors to each of their sacrum meetings that they attend. And um, while I'm no good pronouncer of Hawaiian, the Hawaiian language, I will read the farewell to these. The title of the song and says proudly swept the rain by the cliffs as it as on it glided through the trees, still following ever the Liko, the ahi'i lehua of the veil. Farewell to thee, farewell to thee, thou charming one who dwells in shadows and shaded boughs, one fond embrace ere I depart until we meet again, thus sweet memories come back to me, bringing fresh remembrance of the past, dearest one, yes, thou art mine own, from thee true love shall ne'er part. I have seen and watched thy loveliness, thou, thou sweet rose of Mana Awili, and tw- and 'tis there the birds oft love to dwell and sip the honey from thy lips. So, um, really, fellowshipping's just taken to the next level here. It was lovely. That looks like an Instagram picture. We probably fraught where we were going to take the picture before we took the picture. So. I don't think it was an easy day on Sunday. So a specific example of making us feel welcome. What are you doing in your particular ward? Moroni explained the need to keep the church free from iniquity, verse seven. People who sinned and would not confess nor repent had their names removed from the rolls, but as oft as they repent and and sought forgiveness with real intent, they were forgiven. In Moroni 6, 9, it seems, seems to describe meetings without much pre-planned structure. As we know, the people met and participated according to the works of the Spirit. Of course, there were leaders who presided, and it may well be that the workings of the Spirit moved those leaders as they planned the meetings in much the same way that we operate now. I won't read verse nine, but that's essentially we talk about, that we don't have, and that's sometimes hard for people that come from other religions, where there's so much structure in the service that they attend. The Last part of the lesson, I wanted to talk um, about the Holy Ghost that was introduced in the in the beginning of the lesson. Um, I love tulips, and so this is a, a fun time of year for me. and And uh, if you have ever been to a tulip festival, of course they're known more in uh, Holland and in the Netherlands, but in Washington and Skagit County, where my parents have had uh, they have lived, and then just when they moved, kept a second home there. We have been able to go to, and attend these, these festivals. And this is probably about five years ago, but it's a sight to behold. It needs to be on your bucket list. It's fields and fields of tulips, and they're spectacular. And um, this was four or five years ago when my kids were young. But it really is magnificent to see these fields of color and the tulips and each tulip, um, these skinny little flowers that pop out of a stem. So I was attending um, the temple last Wednesday and I came out and I thought, I've got to take some time to smell the roses. So I walked around Temple Square and uh, it was kind of an unusual time because usually the daffodils come out and are usually dead before the tulips come. But because maybe we've had such a wet, a wet year, everything was out and it was absolutely spectacular. So I started walking around Temple Square and I take pictures. I never do anything with them, of course, but uh, I, loved, I loved the tulips. And as I was walking through, I noticed something i had never seen before, and I've seen a lot of tulips. And here you can see a tulip. This has a stem, but at the top are two flowers, and I had never seen that before. And I was, I thought, I was struck when I saw it, and I thought it was almost like a four-leaf clover. I sat and I looked at it for a, minutes, a few minutes, and I proceeded to walk around and try to find another like it, because I thought, well, maybe, maybe I just haven't noticed that before, but I couldn't find one. It was beautiful, and it was so unique, delicate, and not weak, but strong and healthy, even though there was one stem supporting two flowers. Here it is from all sides. As you can see, it almost barely breaks off at the top. So I wanted to speak and relate this flower a little bit. Both flowers perfectly stretched out with no obstruction from the other. They couldn't be any closer. Unique like you and me, the Holy Ghost does not give the same guidance to everyone. We can be as close to the Holy Ghost as we choose to be without causing any physical disturbance upon us, but the Holy Ghost is close. The intent of the Holy Ghost is to warn us, comfort us, and provide feelings to help us with us to know truth. The Holy Ghost is very close, strong, supportive, beautiful, and always there based on our righteousness and desire. We also know that we can receive answers through other people. And um, I, we're raising our first teenager. I know you people probably have millions of teenagers, but we just have our first. And um, we're learning that we're dumb and they're really smart. <laughs> and so it's really hard to give advice. And we've actually had a hard time giving our child advice since he was four. So we're not, this is really nothing new. But um, I guess the Lord needed. To, him to hear we, um, we were playing tennis in St. George. I'd travel around with Jake a little bit to play tennis tournaments, and we were in St. George, and, and we were hitting, and we were taking a break, and there was two gentlemen on the other side of us hitting, and, and so we started talking as we were taking a water break. And, and um, at the very end of the discussion, one of them said, um, "I want to give you two pieces of advice." He turns to my son. It was an older gentleman. He said, first of all, you have to have tennis, you have to have fun. If it, do, if it stops being fun, don't do it. And the second is that you need to follow the advice of your mother. And I swear Jake thinks I pay people to say this. <laughs> because then two weeks later we were in Vegas. And we were at another tournament and we were in Barnes and Noble because Jake reads really fast and he goes through books and then we just fight because he can't watch TV and play video games. So we were in Barnes & Noble trying to find him something good to read, and as we were leaving, we were walking through the first set of doors. You know, in Barnes & Noble, there's kind of two sets of doors. And so there was a gentleman coming in his 60s through the other door, and he held the door for us to walk out. And this random man says to Jake, are you getting good grades? And he looked at Jake, and Jake kind of looked at me like, why is this guy asking me this? And I said, yeah, he does does pretty well, and he said, are you listening to your mother? And Jake just looked at me like, are you kidding me? What are you doing? You're paying everyone to come and tell me this. And he said, Cause you, I hope you always listen to your mother because she won't steer you wrong. And he just left, he just walked in the building. And I thought, you know, in about 15 years, I'm gonna do that to every mother and son I see. I'm going to be that nutcase that the, all the teenage boys are going to say, "Oh my gosh, there's that weird lady that tells you to listen to your mother. Do not make eye contact." <laughs> in my life, the Holy Ghost has been the single factor for my conversion to the LDS faith when I was 18 years old. After being activity, uh, involved in activities in mutual and young men, or sorry, young women and young men mutual activities, and being fellowshiped by Laurel classes and church leaders in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I couldn't help but feel the Spirit during class, in sacraments, and in bishop interviews. I wasn't, it wasn't until years later, sitting at a farewell for one of the Laurels in my class, that I learned that the week that I had knelt down to ask if the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints were true, my whole Laurels class and leader had fasted for me. It was this experience that inspired this friend to serve a mission. I could not deny the feeling of the Holy Ghost, so I was baptized at 18, and I had not read the Book of Mormon in its entirety. At age 22, I had an experience, um, again influenced by the Holy Ghost, and it was about serving a mission, and I had absolutely no intention of serving a mission. But while driving through Southern Alberta, leaving Calgary after spending three or four days visiting family and college friends, the Holy Ghost gave me the impression to stop at a gravesite out in the middle of nowhere that I had just passed. So I turned around, and I came back, and I parked at the gravesite, and I walked directly to the tombstone of my great-grandmother, who never, I had never seen before. I had known my grandma, great-grandmother a few years before she passed away, but it was there on her tombstone the answer to my lingering question about serving a mission. So I I remember in a previous lesson that I'd expressed what a wonderful experience I'd had in the MTC. And certainly the food was awesome and the sleeping accommodations with plush feather beds and comforters were a welcome relief at the end of the day to fall into. You know I can't get past without doing some sarcasm. Um, but what I was most impressed was the feeling of the Spirit. We read from the scriptures and role played every day to familiarize ourselves with how to teach people about the gospel. My favorite thing to do in my mission was helping people recognize the Spirit. When I got to the mission, one of the first interviews with my mission president was at a Zone conference, and he told me that he was impressed to tell me that I was not here to baptize missionaries, or sorry, mission new members, that my mission We would, on average, 1.5 people would be able to, uh, missionaries would be able to baptize. So maybe it was trying to lower my expectations about how many I could convert. But I was actually really confused by that message. But as it turned out, I was able to teach and see seven people enter the waters of baptism. I was no scriptorian. I only concentrated on what I knew best helping people recognize the feeling of the holy ghost prior to my mtc experience my preparation to get there was not so common i had said goodbye goodbye to my parents in tulsa oklahoma and not to see them again for 18 months my mom was not lds and my dad was not active so this was a tough time for them and they were loving parents and supported the things that we did but they certainly had um some um, doubt, but after three weeks in the MTC, um, I flew out of Salt Lake City and I had two layovers before arriving in a final destination, Halifax, Nova Scotia. And since my parents were still living in Tulsa, prior to that I had actually flown to Utah, went through the temple, actually my best friend who was going through with me as the escort forgot her temple recommend, so I went through myself. And then I went into the MTC the next day, I had a friend draw me off, I stayed in a hotel. And so. Um, Very different, maybe, than what you've experienced with your kids. But after I exited the plane at a layover in Dallas, my father was standing at the gate. Um, He'd arranged a layover at the same time as mine while on a business trip, and it was lovely to see him. Um, He said to me, "Um, I have a seat right next to me. Please come home. Sorry, I didn't think I'd get this emotional. He tried to work on me for an hour uh, because this was not his passion. He was not passionate about this, but I was. And because of my experience in the MTC and because of the Holy Ghost, this was not a hard decision for me. And I pressed on and served a mission. So through the years, I've had other experiences that have confirmed my belief about the gospel, scriptures, Joseph Smith, and grouchy members of our faith that may offend us, all through the Holy Ghost. And I've looked back on my years with small children, and that's such a hard time for you sisters that have young kids. Because in sacrament, you have this innate ability to read to your child, try and listen to the speaker, and keep like your third eye on the other children. And you don't really get to have those huge spiritual experiences that maybe you once did or have time to. And I felt that way. In fact, I said to my husband, because I got pregnant shortly after we were married, because I was old and we had to hurry up. But I said, honey, don't take this personally, but I'm not very spiritual since I've been married. And um, it was just, it was hard because you don't get to attend the temple as much. But looking back, um, I don't feel that way. And I know that the Holy Ghost was there realizing that even though I couldn't attend the temple, I can say that while my spiritual encounters may not have been so obvious, I was guided to the right home. I chose the right doctors when we went through our times with her son's health. We had great teachers. We had great coaches even friend encounters that touched us with so much love and support. We had a call several years ago at 9 p.m. on a Wednesday night, I'll never forget it, from a teacher expressing love and concern, which basically changed the course of this child's life. So many blessings as we are guided by the Holy Ghost, even though I couldn't see it at the time. So this being being my last lesson on the Book of Mormon, I wanted to tell you that I know this Book of Mormon is translated by a true prophet of God, whose stories were abridged by men of God, and that Jesus lives. The first summer before my lesson, and last summer, I have never had more questions of doubt about our faith than I did then. Things I had never thought of or had any concern about had crept into my mind, but Satan seemed to work hard on my testimony. But as I prepared each lesson, my faith grew stronger, and my feelings of comfort and confirmation um, that what I was preparing was true could not have been stronger. I've enjoyed My association with you sisters, while teaching immensely, I get so emotional because there are so many sisters going through tremendous challenges who have shared those with me and emailed me about it. And you have strengthened my faith. Rebecca's lesson when she taught about because of him and asked for you sisters to come in and give your thoughts on that was Truly, totally one of my favorite lessons, there are so many sisters in here that have such great faith. So I just wanted to read a couple of scriptures about the Holy Ghost in John 14, 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you, I have several, but I'll read this last one in First 1 Nephi 10.17. And it came to pass, after I, Nephi, having heard all the words of my father concerning the things which he saw in a vision, and also the things which he spoke by the power of the Holy Ghost, which power he received by faith on the Son of God. And the Son of God was the Messiah who should come. I Nephi was desirous also that I might see and hear and know of these things by the power of the Holy Ghost, which is the gift of God, unto all those who diligently seek him, as well in times of old as in times that he should manifest himself unto the children of men. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.